I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the SyrupCast, MobileServe's Canadian tech-focused podcast. I'm Patrick O'Rourke and Brad Bennett, a man who refers to himself as the bad boy of tech, but that I call MobileServe's teen correspondent is not across the table for me. He's, he's looking pretty on the internet. He's got a I nice do. headband on today. I do. I love how you said the man who refers to himself as the bad boy. <laughs> yeah, like I enunciated it differently yeah. this week. My man who's a boy. Just, just for you. Thank you. Um, how, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, my girlfriend went over her handlebars on her bike yesterday, broke, essentially sprained one wrist, fractured the other, and fractured her elbow. So I've been a part-time nurse today and last night. It's been a good time. That is not good. She's okay, though? You're right. It has not been a good time. I don't know why I said that. Yeah, she's okay. <laughs> Much higher spirits today, um, but very sore. She's got like a cast, a sling, and a wrist splint. So it's like, I'm doing everything. That's that, that's horrible. Uh, I've, I've been there when I sliced my finger open, so uh, I remember what that was like. Yeah, it's quite the show. Kind of funny. She's, I just keep calling her Road Warrior. We'll see how Road it goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On a more positive note, uh, we also have John Lamont on the podcast with us today. How are you doing, John? I hope you have not flown over any handlebars recently. No, I have not. Um, so I'm, I'm doing okay from from that perspective. Yeah, just kind of been existing and writing stuff and just, just yeah. That's the extent of my existence for the, for that's, the last that's a great way, several that's weeks. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> existing fun. and writing stuff. That, that is our lives. The fun part about yeah. doing these podcasts and even our work meetings is we do them with video. People don't know, but we can see each other. But we only ever see each other in these rooms where we are. So as far as I know, John hasn't left his basement and Patrick hasn't left whatever room he's in in three months. And they probably think I live in this room. To be honest, I do spend an obscene amount of time in this office now. Like I spend, I don't know, at least eight hours a day here working. And then after that, I spend another four to five hours a day playing Apex. So I'm here. Maybe you all do the time. There. I yeah. was right. Uh, <laughs> I kind of don't leave. That's that's pretty nice. accurate. You can't see it on my screen, but my bed is like just off to the side there. So like oh, when I'm not in this chair, I'm over there. It's yeah, I don't go too far. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so this was boat. a shockingly busy week for me. I mean, I somewhat expected it. It's WC WWDC twenty twenty. Apple pushed forward with the annual its annual developers conference, unlike Google. Um, I think the keynote in general, that's probably something worth briefly touching on. Uh, I thought like for an all digital thing. Yeah, like they did a pretty good job with it. Um, It was well shot. I was kind of making jokes, wondering like what Hollywood director they they, like procured to direct it because there was like several interesting shots of Apple's campus. Um, I think Jones. Probably brought him it's back. He did the Apple commercial. Yeah. yeah. I actually wonder if at some point they'll talk about who directed that. Um, but yeah, yeah. That, that's for another podcast. So we got a glimpse of iOS 14, iPadOS 14, macOS Big Sur, watchOS 7, and tvOS 14. There is no hardware, which I kind of expected, but was hoping that wouldn't be the case. Sometimes you see hardware at WWDC, but not all of the time. So that's the topic for this week's podcast. We're just going to be focusing on WWDC. But before we get into all that, Bennett, do you want to hit the hottest news of the week? Yeah, so there was a, a, a bunch of Canadian news stuff that was actually pretty cool this week. Um, the first one's Ontario specific, but the Ontario elementary school curriculum is finally integrating coding into its like math section, which I think is like super needed necessary i'm sure everyone agrees like i wish i learned coding in elementary school and i was uh, developing apps and making the big bucks but here i am writing about them instead 
Um, and then there was another part about that talking about just financial stuff. You know, I'm assuming that was like taxes and credit cards and that kind of thing. So that's that's some pretty interesting stuff. But the coding thing was very cool. Financial um, literacy sounds like something yeah, that was super word. important. I didn't learn anything about that in school at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, neither the did time, I. The only time that like any class that I ever took in high school touched on it was... Um, I'm really bad at math, as I've talked about probably before on this podcast, and I failed the only course in my life I've ever failed. I failed university math, and then I took college math. Same. And it was one of the most interesting, useful classes I've ever taken because there was parts of the curriculum where we like, like calculated expenses, calculated rent, calculated a mortgage. We had to like imagine that we were buying a car and like fit that within our ex- expenses and things like that. And it was, it was stuff that I've like actually used. So, I mean, if the curriculum is expanding to include more of that, that would be, I, I don't That makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool. Um, I'm not sure. I'm scared of how like teachers are going to handle this because of the whole, like, well, financial literacy, I'm sure that that's a little more something that regular teachers know about, but I know coding is something that, my mom was an elementary school teacher for a long time, and she was like trying to integrate coding into her classroom. She was using like Spiro balls and stuff like that, but it was really hard for her because it was a lot of it was way over her head, being someone who just like has not a lot of like computer. I don't want to say skills because she's okay with computers, but just she doesn't go very deep into what yeah. they can do. You know, she's a mom. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll see. Hopefully, that gets better and that helps kids learn coding, which I think is really important. Um, beyond that, you know, more leaks to the Pixel 4a. When is it coming? We have no idea. We just leak after leak. Maybe it'll never come. Maybe it'll just leak forever. But, um, you know, Pixel 4a, where are you? My favorite, uh, 4a story is the one that Dean did recently where it's literally the cases. Oh yeah. From Amazon. On Amazon.ca. Like not leaked or anything. Like you can just search for them right now on Amazon.ca and they're, they're just there. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we don't know for certain, but like based upon all of the leaks we've seen, it's like, yeah, they're out and this is what it will look like. And these are what the cases will look like. So hopefully soon we'll see that phone. I know there's a lot of people waiting for it. I keep telling people, you know, wait, I think Google's going to be putting out a phone sometime this summer. I imagined back when I was telling people that uh, it was going to knock their socks off, but we'll have to wait and I see. Think it's, I think it's coming soon. It's let's, got it. Uh, let's hope. Yeah, I know. It's been yeah. like it was supposed to come in the beginning of June. I I thought originally with the Android 11 beta, right? Um, I think it was supposed to come with IO initially. Um, right, right. And then that got canceled and pushed back. And so then everybody kind of was like, oh, it'll just come with the Android 11 beta announcement probably in some sort of digital announcement. And then that never happened. So, yeah. Um, another thing. Uh, another low-cost phone-related news, the OnePlus Nord or Z. It's still kind of unclear what it will be or where it's coming, but it doesn't seem like it's coming to North America right away, according to a recent OnePlus blog post. So, you know, the low-cost OnePlus phones might come here, but it's uh, a lot more uncertain than we originally believed. Yeah, I think I think um, the Nord name did get confirmed. Um, but yeah, it's not coming to Canada uh, they're going to do something else for Canada or, well, they're going to do something else for North America, which I assume will involve Canada. Sometimes they just say North America and yeah. that just means the U S but, um, let's hope I, feel I, like, I want more low cost phones here from like manufacturers that we really like, like one plus yeah. Google. I mean, the iPhone SE is just, that was like a big one off the checklist, but Google one plus can get in here and compete with Samsung and Apple. I think that's important for the market. I feel like Nord is, would would have been a great name for a phone launching in Canada. I agree. I think the same thing. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Um, moving on, you know, Drone Delivery Canada still doing its thing. They I think they have a it's a new contract to deliver healthcare packages, which I know was always part of their mandate to use you know drones to deliver medicine and other health related things to remote communities in Canada. So it seems like they're starting to do that a little more, um, which is exciting. I just wanted to touch on because I think it's just a really interesting thing you know drone delivery is happening but it's being used in a practical way it's not getting you your amazon package like instantly it's it's bringing necessities to people who can't get them easily which i think is smart and uh useful i'm gonna keep that snap in there when i edit the podcast <laughs> sorry yeah i just felt oh i felt no, good saying it this this one real quick this all the studio ghibli movies at least i think it's all of them are on netflix today i know alex with her broken wrist has been watching them all day um so that's awesome yeah, Studio Ghibli movies are on Netflix. If you like 
uh, anime or just Japanese animation. They're super good. I've seen a handful of them. I'm sure you guys have too. Um, and, it's, and we never thought they would come to Netflix in Canada, and here they are, so that's exciting. And then the last one, I was just reading about this, but Chatter put out credit cards. Do you guys see that? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Aisha wrote about it. Yeah, so apparently Rogers has had credit cards for a while. I looked at the other carriers. They don't, but yeah, these Chatter credit cards, the goal of them is through... It's supposed to be really easy for people to get them, and so they can build up their credit again if they've been, you know, ruining their credit during the pandemic, having to spend too much and not be able to pay it back, or things like that. Um, and I don't know a whole lot about credit cards because I didn't get taught financial literacy in school because well, <laughs> <laughs> it but, all comes uh, full circle. Yeah, but they're here, and and that's kind of interesting to see a carrier get into the credit card market. I mean, this I, whole credit card thing is weird with Apple cards and stuff like that coming out. Yeah. I think it actually kind of fits really well with Chatter's brand, at least from what I recall um, when I worked at Best Buy is the whole the whole kind of ethos behind Chatter was that it was for people who, you know, were maybe um, younger and couldn't afford some of the more expensive plans or for people who are new to Canada. Mm-hmm. So introducing a more accessible credit card option as well really does make a lot of sense for that target demographic because if you're young and you're you're just looking to get your first credit card or if you're new to Canada and you don't have that credit card score built up yet um it can be really really difficult to actually get a credit card and and start building up that score so that kind of makes a lot of sense to me and in today's climate you you need a credit card to buy things online and buying things online particularly now while we're all uh, stuck at home still very very helpful and even tap you know yep. like people don't have tap in their debit cards but it's a little safer on credit cards, I think, because credit companies generally are better with like reimbursing mixed charges and fraud yeah, and things like that. I could I could do a whole podcast about that. <laughs> oh, dude, uh, I shouldn't talk about this now, but I was camping with a guy who works for McDonald's advertising agency on the weekend, and we got into a yeah. big argument about the app. Did he hear? It? Funny. Did he hear about what happened to me? No, he hadn't heard. He because we were going to get McDonald's. He's like, "Everybody get the app," and okay. I was like, ah, ha, ha, ha. "No." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they added Apple Pay to the app, which is a, a good security move. But then I, I did receive reports from a couple of readers that um, it may have been removed. But I, I got to look into that still as a follow-up story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's it for the hottest news of the week from my end. That's kind of what uh, what I thought was really interesting so far. Cool. So let's get into WWDC. Like I was saying before, yeah. I, I think across the board, these are relatively minor updates to every operating system with... Uh, Mac OS Big Sur probably being the only exception as long as you put significant stock into what an OS looks like. Um, so right off the top, iOS 14, I'll just go through like some of the main big things. Uh, there's an app library now, which is basically the same as Android's app drawer. I think that's long overdue and something that iOS really, really needed. Do you swipe up or to the side to get to it? It's to the side. Uh, it's like to the you, side. You, you swipe to the left until you get to a... Um, just a screen that has everything divided into different categories. Interesting. The categories are a little weird right now. I'm hoping that's something that change that, that that's going to change in the future. But it's it's definitely like a step in the right direction. Um, then we also have widgets. They're no longer locked to the today view. You can take them out. You can move them around. You can change their size. You can stack them, which is really cool. Again, another Android feature that's coming to iOS. This is a theme that people are going to see. Uh, Siri is more compact. There's just in terms of the, what it looks like. There's also um, Siri Translate feature. More of the processing is happening on the device itself rather than in the cloud. There's a new picture-in-picture feature coming across the board. It's a little unclear if this is going to be open to every single app and how quickly third-party app developers are going to add that to their apps. That's something that I kind of have questions about. New features for Maps and uh carplay features bennett you can talk about that later um yep. and some car key stuff as well that's but a I real think, cool one yeah i think one of the things i just wanted to talk about first and i was going to throw this to you john um a lot of this stuff seems like it's directly borrowed from android and i'm definitely not alone in that sentiment that was something that i saw everybody saying on twitter twitter canada um, made a moment about it did they really? Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So yeah, I was just hoping you could talk a little bit a little bit about that as kind of a resident Android expert um, at the website. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
I think in in a lot of ways that's a fair criticism, but I'd also argue that it's kind of not. I mean, it's not just that they're borrowing, copying, stealing, whatever terminology you want to use these features from Android. Like if you look at the way that they've implemented it, it reminds me a lot of Windows uh, Phone as that's well. True. The tiles. Yeah, just like that tile kind of implementation with the live information and stuff like that. Um, but I think that, you know, these, these companies copy from each other all the time and there's plenty of features that Android has copied from iOS and plenty of features that iOS has copied from Android. Um, you know, for example, nearby sharing, which is Google's rip on, uh, airdrop. Like how long has airdrop been a thing with iOS and Google just now? I I couldn't even tell you. So it, it goes both ways. So I think, yeah, it's definitely a fair criticism, but both companies do it. And I think the thing to keep in mind here is that these features that, you know, uh, Apple and Google are implementing on their respective OSs that, you know, may, maybe have been on the other OS for a long time. They're not mission critical features, right? Like having widgets in an app drawer are not mission critical to using an iPhone, Um but they are nice quality of life things. So I think it kind of shows that both of these operating systems have really matured and um, the the companies that make them are looking to implement more quality of life features rather than innovate and create like a whole new suite of features and updates because there just isn't that much space to kind of innovate anymore. I think that's very true. I think the other one of like, so something to mention is this is one of the first times it is truly the first time actually where I'm running all of the developer betas. I've tried them. I've gone hands on with them and I'm allowed to talk about them. I don't know if this has changed on Apple's side of things because of the pandemic and they can't show us these things in person, but it's, it's been a pretty enlightening experience because I'm not just inanely asking questions during the several briefings I've been in, I can actually ask those questions based on my real world experience with the operating systems. So like, for example, widgets, long overdue, super cool, think they're great. It's really hard to judge how useful they're going to be right now because there's so few of them available, right? Apple just launched this feature. They launched it at WWDC so third party developers can see it. They can create their own widgets, but right now there's like three widgets available or something like that, right? Like you can check activity, you can check battery life. There's like an Apple music one and a few other ones, but they're all Apple related apps. So I think for me, for that to be useful, I want to see like, is Google going to make a Gmail widget? Is Google going to make like a Hangouts widget? That kind of thing. Cause I'm very much a Google services person on an Apple device, which I, I, I don't want to say like that's a minority, but I think Oh, it I definitely is. I mean, everyone buys iPhones and like people still have the iTunes store on their homepage. Yeah, yeah. I think I think for normal, I don't want to say normal people. That's probably the, not the right way to phrase it. I think for the average iPhone user, that's the case. But I think for people um, like us that are like into tech, there's a lot of people out there that use iPhones, but use Google services. Um, With these widgets, so there were like widgets before, right, in the Today View, and there were lots of like yeah. Google widgets and third-party widgets, so you can't bring those over to the home screen yet? So you, so we're going to get into that. Um, we actually could right now, That that's fine. Uh, you can move the widgets from the Today View to wherever you want on whatever panel where your apps are, and then they kind of like push your apps aside. It pretty much works exactly the same way as they do on Android. It's iPad OS where things start to get a little messy. Um, but before we talk about iPad OS, Bennett, I was just going to ask you, um, since you have like more of an automotive focus on things when we, when we cover these keynotes, was that what stood out to you as the most interesting thing was the CarPlay car key stuff from, from the iOS 14? I think car portion? key was just because that is something that like, I think the world has been waiting on for so long, you know, ever since you've been able to pay with our phones, it's like, well, I want to unlock or unlock your house with your phone, you know, smart locks. You can unlock your house with your phone, whatever. So and how, like, how does it work? Can you explain how it works? Um, no, <laughs> I don't know the exact <laughs> specifics. I know it's only in like a few BMW cars and it's there's some sort of API that manufacturers will be able to take advantage of. And it's supposed to be like very secure. And I think it kind of works like Apple pay where it sort of changes the numbers on your card every time. So you're using like a more secure method that way. And I think that something similar is happening here with your key thing. Um, but you know, the gist of how you use it is like, you just tap your phone 
to your car. It unlocks. Uh, in the example, they said they had to put the phone into the wireless charger in the BMW, and then they could push okay. to start it, um, which I don't know how much that part seemed a bit weird because a lot of other push to start cards, you just need to have the, the car key inside the zone of the car and you could start it. Um, but maybe you that doubles, share the key. I was going to say, Go. maybe that doubles as a way to keep people from using their phones while they're driving. Oh, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, actually probably does because it needs to be on the wireless charger to enable CarPlay itself. So that would, you would, it's kind of like just being like, okay, you're in here now. We're using CarPlay. Let's go. You know, a choice. <laughs> you want to start yeah. this car with this phone? We're using CarPlay. Um, but yeah, you could send the key. You know, like if I'm locked outside, I'm like, oh, I forgot my key inside. Or I'm, maybe I'm camping and somebody needs to move my car out of the driveway where I left it. They can just, I can just send them the key and they tap their phone with the key. Boom. You have like a six hour pass to get into my car. Or you could just use the key to unlock the trunk. You could turn it into a valet key where it only will start and then not work anymore. Like, there's a lot of options, and it's just who likes carrying keys? I mean, yeah, I think it'll take some time for the feature to really be great. I think the early implementation is going to have a lot of issues. You mentioned valet. I think that's going to be a huge issue. Like, if I go to a place that has valet parking, I have to give them my phone to park the car unless they have an iPhone that supports this feature, right? Well, I'm assuming the cars will still come with keys. You'll have that and yeah. you'll have to be like keeping your, I mean, most but, people, if they have a valet key, it just stays in the glove box anyway. Yeah. Um, One time I went to Sherway Gardens, a mall in Toronto around Christmas time. And I actually considered paying $10 for valet parking because I didn't want to drive around the parking lot in circles trying to find parking. And in the cold, but, you got to walk. Yeah, no one likes that. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine brutal. with that. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not that that bougie. It was more like ten <laughs> bucks to not hate my life for the next half hour trying to find parking. But uh, yeah. sorry to interrupt. Continue. Um, well, I was just the only other thing I was going to say is there are other manufacturers that have been doing this. I mean, I think with the Chevrolet app, you can unlock your car and start your car with your phone. Although I don't know if it's a tap situation. I think it's more of a control button. I think. Um, I think you can do that with the Tesla app too. Yeah, that was the other one I was going to mention. Tesla also has this, you know, key in phone type of situation. And I think those people love it. But I also think Tesla drivers are early adopter tech enthusiasts more than the average BMW owner probably is, um, who is probably just buying the BMW more for either the name or the rear wheel drive. But, you know, it's very cool. And I think it's like a nice step into the future. You know, if we can get that, then maybe we can get TTC transit passes where we can tap our phones. And then who even needs a wallet? Who even needs keys? I'm just carrying my phone. And that's like what I've been dreaming about since I was 14. Yeah, it's I doubt it'll future. happen. But my my hope is that Google and Apple can kind of work together on that so that the car API key feature thing. API thing works seamlessly across Android and iPhone. Because I can see that being a major issue if, you know, I have an iPhone and I want to share my key with my buddy, but he's got an Android phone. Well, great. You can't do it now. Yeah. Got to go uh, get your real keys. That was something I was scared of before with like Android Auto and CarPlay. It's just like another way to have ecosystem lock-in, you know, instead Mm -hmm. of having ecosystem lock-in just on your phone. Now you're expanding it to your car and possibly your home, depending on your smart home devices. And that is like, yeah, you're right. A very scary scenario where you're like, I guess I just have to keep my iPhones forever because I want to get into my car or my house, you know. Um, There were some other interesting things in iOS 14 that we won't get into, but like I'll just quickly mention them related to security where um, the OS will notify you if an app's accessing the clipboard. We'll also let you know if something's accessing the mic or the camera with like a little red dot in the top corner. Um, but I, I think other than that, like we've covered most of the new stuff in iOS 14, so we can talk quickly about iPad OS. I think. Wait, I, was... I want to say just in yeah, iOS 14, one of the coolest things was all that cycling map stuff not coming to Canada, right? All San, all San Francisco, and you also can't make a route like a circuit that you take every day and and have that added to your your like your biking route, mm-hmm. which I, I found disappointing. I thought that would be really cool. Yeah, me too. Um, no, no idea when it's coming to Canada either. I think the strategy that Apple's using with Maps makes sense. Like they have that new EV stuff, they have the new biking stuff. It's all these things that like either Google doesn't have a great implementation of or doesn't have at all. And Google that has those gives, things. I don't do, think Google do they has. Have, 
I don't think Google has the route making or the stair thing, but I mean, Google has pretty good biking directions and it also Does has it? Okay. like EV charger locations. Does it have the EV like tracking? What do you mean like by it tracking? It tracks the amount of kilometers you have and stuff. I don't think it does, but you can like look okay. for EV chargers and they can like do them along your route and stuff, I think. Anyways, none of that's coming to Canada and we don't know when it is. We are getting the new maps at some point this year. Apple did confirm that, but that's like the street that's view. That's uh, yeah. Or the Street well, View similar the, thing. Their version of Street View, I forgot what it's called. Look Around, I believe. Something like that. That's a good example so we, of Apple taking things from Google, you know, back and forth, back and forth, back yeah. and forth. So in terms of iOS 14, I was, uh, sorry, iPad OS 14, I was generally pretty disappointed in it. Um, I think that last year we saw Apple create an entirely new operating system in a sense, at least figuratively for the iPad. And then this year, we're finally seeing it go in a different direction. And in some ways, I'm not totally happy with the direction that it's going in. So a good example is there's no app library. I spent a solid 20 minutes trying to find the app library after I uh, installed the developer beta on my iPad Pro 2018. And I couldn't find it anywhere, only to find out that it is literally not in the operating system. I have no idea why that's the case. doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, and then on top of that, there's no there's widgets in the today view, and they're going to look exactly like they do in iOS 14, but you can't pull them out of that today view, which I, that just, I don't get it. I do not understand that at all because the iPad screen is huge and it seems so suited to widgets, right? Like there's so much screen real estate. The argument um, I think Apple would make is that the today, you can make the today view show up on iPad OS screen at all times, right? Yeah. So those widgets are still there. So like I, I get it from that perspective, but it would be cool to make that today view disappear and just like slide those things specifically where you want them to go. Yeah, we can make um, justifications for why it's not there all all day, but realistically at the end of the day, we're just like, why isn't it there? There doesn't really seem to be any real reason to not be able to put widgets everywhere. Like, yeah, sure, there's more apps on iPad, it's less cluttered. You don't need to have a highly structured interface because you you know you have much more space to say to see things and to touch things but like why not why not have that yeah, yeah. it doesn't I, make I would, sense to me it yeah it doesn't make sense i kind of get that justification because it if you have the today view there all the time then you have the widgets that you want on your screen all the time so i get not needing to have them mixed in with all your apps but i think that the the ipad would be a much better suited device for that kind of collage style mix of apps and widgets. Yeah. I mean, I'll bet a hundred dollars right now that it comes out next year, if not before then, you know? Yeah. Um, Reading between the lines from what I learned this week, I think that's what's going to happen. There's a lot of outcry. And usually if there's like this much outcry or something this trivial, it usually comes our way. I think I don't think it's going to come in the public release or the final release of iPadOS 14, but no, no, no. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it arrives before iPadOS, something like that. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll come. I think it's coming at some point. The yeah. app app library, maybe not, but moving widgets out of that, I think is definitely coming. I would, I would argue the app library is a much more egregious miss on Apple's part. Um, Cause to me, it makes way more sense to have an app library uh, on something like the iPad um, than the widget things. Because, Especially like, if you're using the iPad for work and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You want to have like a little, yeah, just keep it clean. Yep. So we're all so sad beyond, that didn't happen. That's yeah, we're, we're, de- <laughs> we're definitely <laughs> no sad. So beyond, iPad, those, link. beyond those two uh, sort of missteps, there's also a sort of sidebar-like thing that Apple's adding to several of its own apps. And I was able to confirm that third-party developers will be able to add that as well. It's very Mac OS-esque. I think that's really going to help with mouse and mouse or trackpad navigation with, with those specific apps. So I'm glad to see that. I definitely like to see it in something like Photoshop. Like that would make things way easier. Um, the other thing worth noting is that you can now write with an Apple Pencil in any text field and have that turn into like typed out text. That's... I don't understand how that wasn't a thing before. That's cool. And then... Does it uh, work well I did, with your handwriting? I have I've horrible handwriting. Things. So yeah. like... Same. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say that it doesn't work well with my handwriting, yeah, but... No, that might be on you. I, I want to... 
I want to give it to my partner and, and let her try it out and, and see. Um, cause like, I don't even form letters properly, right? Like <laughs> I make them in roundabout ways and like things that don't make sense. So yeah. I don't blame it. And then beyond that, there's also, um, and I actually pulled this from your coverage of iPad OS Bennett, cause you, you wrote the post for us during the, the keynote, um, drawing straight lines. You just hold down the pencil. I tried that out yesterday and it, it worked really well. And that's another thing that like I never thought of, but I'm glad that it's, it's now part of it. The issue I have with all of these little things and all of these little tricks is people don't learn them, unfortunately, you know, it's like when they put 3D touch into the iPhone, it, it opened up all these really awesome tweaks for uh, productivity, but people didn't know that they were there, you know, I nobody knew touch. that you could hold down on the keyboard to get a cursor to pop up and you could edit text really effectively, you could push even harder to select text and to copy and paste text. And even now, last year in iPadOS, there was like, three finger copy paste and two finger taps and all these different tools. But unless you use an iPad every single day for work and you're like actually forcing yourself to learn these, I don't want to say convoluted, but these like pro level productivity hacks almost, you're not going to be using these features and the iPad is still going to be a very much like tap and hold tap and hold interface, which, uh, you know, maybe kids are picking up on these a lot better than adults but it, uh, it's hard to tell. I feel like a lot of these are going to get lost in the weeds and I could be yeah, wrong, absolutely. but um, I think it's just, it's hard from like a user experience or UI um, perspective. I think it's just hard to communicate these gestures effectively, right? Like yeah, if you use a hard. desktop operating system and you want to copy paste something, if usually it'll show like a control C or command C icon next to stuff that you can copy paste so it like communicates that to you right like it shows you the keystrokes and the shortcuts and stuff like that in the menu mm -hmm. whereas on on ipad and and on phones and stuff like that there's no symbology or icon to demonstrate hey you can force touch to activate this menu it's just not there yeah and i'm sure I some people will learn it but yeah you go, Pat. You go. I think it's definitely true. It's it's also going to getting, and I'll preface this with saying, like, I think that adding mouse and trackpad support to the iPad and iPad OS was long overdue and something that was necessary. But I think that that's going to get increasingly confusing because, like, some apps will be optimized for touch, some apps will be optimized for mouse and keyboard. Finding that happy medium will happen and hopefully Apple leads the way with its own apps. But I, I think there's going to be some growing pains um, getting to that point. Yeah, don't get me wrong. This is cool. And I think it's necessary to have these, you need these ways to use iPads productively like you in the same way that you would use a computer to get that speed to have all these hacks, you know, these shortcuts, but learning them will be difficult, but very cool. I'm a fan and I want to learn them. I just wish I could use an iPad for work more. And then speaking of growing pains, um, we knew this was coming. It was heavily rumored for years, actually. And then um, I guess more firm rumors materialized leading into WWDC. Uh, Mac OS Big Sur is kind of laying the groundwork for Apple's massive shift to ARM from Intel Silicon. John, I'll, I'll get you to lead the way on this eventually, um, just because I think you're the most well-versed in it. But I think from a user perspective, it's going to be a couple of weird years to be a Mac user, whether you're using an iMac or a MacBook Pro. Basically, Apple said that eventually every single Mac will be running its own its own proprietary processors, which given the company's prowess in the mobile space when it comes to processors and the latest like A-series, like this is a good thing. It's going to... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I think result in more powerful Apple Macs across Hopefully. the board, whether it's a MacBook or an iMac. I think that's that's the expectation. 
Um, but there's also going to be, and, and I know they have a bunch of stuff in place for developers. They talked a lot about it in terms of porting apps from, from Intel to ARM, as well as like even for users with like emulation of um, Intel apps on an ARM-based Mac. We, we also don't even know when the first ARM-based Mac is going to release, other than the fact that it's coming before the end of 2020. John, you have like a little bit of experience using ARM-based devices. Um, the Surface Pro X, I think, is the first yeah. one yep. that you've checked out. Do you want to just talk a little bit about how you think this is going to play out and kind of weigh the pros and cons of the situation? I think for me, like it's going to be a weird... They, they say this transition is going to take two years. I, I don't think it's going to take two years. I think it's going to be like five before things really start to make sense. And I think it's going to work out in favor of the users, but it's definitely going to be a strange couple of years. Um, yeah, so I think that, well, first off, out of the gate, Microsoft Surface Pro X was a great uh, Surface device. Um, I really enjoyed using it. It was fast. It was really snappy until you needed to use uh, an x86 app. So like the kind of, without trying to get too technical, there's two types of architectures for, for apps and there's there's ARM, which is what Apple's proprietary silicon is gonna be based off of. And then there's x86, which is what traditional desktop CPUs like from Intel and AMD use. Um, so the big problem in my experience with Microsoft and Windows and that transition to ARM is that you have you know decades of legacy apps that are designed to run on x86 and nothing else. And Microsoft is kind of trying to straddle the line and say, we want to do both x86 and ARM, but there's no incentive for developers to actually build for ARM or port their apps to ARM or do anything really because the number of actual like good devices that use ARM that people want to use is very small. Is it just and, one? Is it just well, Surface Pro X? The Surface Pro X is the most prominent. I think Samsung has a couple laptops that aren't available in Canada that run on various uh, Qualcomm compute uh, CPUs, which is their like ARM CPU for desktop. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a couple other manufacturers have some in the works. But yeah, the Surface Pro X would be the most prominent. And I can't imagine that there is a huge user base for that. The thing that I would say that I noticed or that impressed me the most about the Surface Pro X is when you had stuff that was made for ARM. So uh, probably the biggest example of that would be Microsoft's new Edge browser versus you know Chrome or Firefox, which weren't necessarily made for ARM. The performance difference between them was huge. Like Edge just absolutely flew because it was built specifically for ARM, whereas the apps that are emulated have a lot of overhead and just don't perform as well. So all that is basically to say, I think Apple's actually in a lot better position than Microsoft, assuming that it's um, Rosetta and Universal tools and all the stuff that it's kind of put in place to help developers lead to developers not emulating. Because that's kind of the big issue. And I think because Microsoft's trying to straddle the line, developers are like, let's just emulate for ARM because there's not enough user base. But with Mac because it's going to fully transition to ARM, there's no reason for developers to focus on emulation and a lot more incentive for developers to port. No, that's rebuild. smart. You're right. Because the Mac lineup will be ARM based. So it's like, okay, well, if we want to make Mac apps, let's, let's look towards the future. As opposed to Windows, you're like, well, we don't really know where they're going. They tried it. Will they continue? Exactly. Um, yeah. The one thing what I do you guys in- think the first ARM-based Mac is going to be, my prediction is that they're going to revive... Uh, yeah, Dad's give it to me. Give it to top. me! Woo! It's going to be a 12-inch... I'm so excited. Uh, I'm going to buy one right away. 12-inch fanless so MacBook. That, that's that's my expectation. I'm sweating. Um, yeah. Followed by like the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro and then eventually the, the iMac. Um, I think but there are rumors indicating that the yeah. first one could be a completely revamped iMac that looks like the Pro Display... Uh, Display yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I really hope it's a MacBook with no fans. My my guess would be the first one we're going to get is probably a MacBook. 
And I, I honestly wouldn't even be surprised if it's running just the, the A12Z or whatever that most recent iPad processor is. That's a good um, prediction. Did they say the, what processor they were using on stage? In in the developer kit and in the demos that they did on stage, it was the A12Z. The Z? Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. That's definitely it then, I think. You're right. So There's also a, uh, yeah, the developer kit is a, is a Mac Mini with an A12Z. I want one. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Just pretend you're a developer and buy one. If only I, <laughs> let me pull it back full circle one more time, but if only I was taught coding in elementary school. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, it's all the Ontario government's fault that we're in this situation now. Hell yeah, it's not my fault. <laughs> so beyond beyond Wait, that there's... massive, oh, what do you want to talk about? Go, well, go I just have one last thing. It's like, I, I think, was it two podcasts ago that we did the Mac versus PC showdown? Because Macs were finally, yeah, yeah. You, you, we could buy Macs again. They fixed the keyboard issue. Now what do we tell people? Don't buy a Mac. Yeah, the keyboard's great, but like in a year, they're going to be doing these arm chips and that i think is what you want to wait for i don't know for me it just seems like we just got out of this hole and apple dropped us right back in it where it's yeah like, what i think that's do true. i buy now i think i think I, if you have ugh. a super old mac and you're like i need an upgrade i think going for one of the x86 ones or one of the intel ones is the way to go don't get arm this year when it's available because i think there are definitely going to be teething issues for yeah, apple um so yeah, and App- Apple has said that they're going to support their their Intel Macs for a long time, and they're going to launch new Intel Macs years? this year. Yeah, I don't know if they gave an exact number, but okay. yeah, they said they were going to keep supporting them with OS updates. Um, and Intel also said that they were going to keep supporting Macs that use their processors, which is good. Um, so yeah. I think for this year, it still makes sense to buy Intel, but after after the initial round of ARM Max and some of the first teething issues are worked out, I think it makes sense to go for the ARM ones and yeah. Yeah. It's I also going to depend, depend on like what apps, what apps you use to, right? Oh, yeah. Like for me, and this is just me very specifically, as long as the Adobe suite is updated to mm-hmm. be, to run natively on ARM, I'm probably okay. Like I don't game on my Mac. I don't think anyone games on a Mac, but um, that's yeah, really all I need, right? Mac, that demo was really <laughs> bad. It's gonna turn Mac into a gaming platform. It looks like it turned exactly Mac into a PlayStation Two. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that demo. Yeah, that demo was really. <sighs> I mean, it was impressive so far, that it was running man. at all, but like, I was like, oh come on, this does not look great. Yeah. So beyond the the ARM stuff, I mean, how I kind of consider Big Sur like a, a huge change is just like visually, it looks incredibly different. It resembles iPad OS and iOS fourteen, even very, the wallpaper. Very closely. They went with that. Yeah. Like, it's not a picture of a nature landscape anymore. The, the wallpaper, the taskbar, the like app bar across the bottom, even the way apps look, like it all looks very iPad OS fourteen. And iOS 14 esque. I don't think that's a bad thing. I like. I think it looks cool. And I mean, I'm someone who cares about what operating systems look like. So it's it's great to see Apple kind of finally put like a full fresh coat of paint on the thing. Oh yeah. Uh, and then the other things worth mentioning before we move on to the final two operating systems is, is tweaks to messages to make it work better. I don't care about that because I will never use messages on my Mac. Not because I, well, partially because I don't want text messages to come to my Mac, but also because uh, it's never worked properly for me. I still can't see my contacts and messages. So hopefully they fix that with the new version. Yeah, I have to. And I think, is there anything I'm missing with Big Sur? I, I think during this portion of the presentation, I was kind of, I was editing something. So I, I missed some of the stuff, but I think, I think we've covered most of it. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think that's so. I'm scrolling through the page now, but I'm not seeing anything jumping out at me that we need to talk about. Yeah, but, but, I think that's Oh, widgets. Good. It says redesign widgets. Um, is that like home screen to the... To the left, where you used to keep, what would they call that? Where you kept like your widgets and, and jazz before? Is that coming back? What's with widgets now? I think they're just going to be in the today view. Oh, okay, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. So um, it wasn't that big of a change, really. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's um, let's move on to the last. Bef- two before ones. we move on, oh, you got one. I have I have two things really quickly. The first one is the new icons. What are your guys' thoughts? Because I've seen a lot of very kind of divisive opinions about the new icons which are like a weird mix between 3d and not 3d yeah 
What is that? I think yeah. some of them. I think some of them look great. Like the new messages icon, I think is fantastic. You like but it? Like, I hate it. I like it. I think it looks, it looks like somebody blew up a cool. balloon. Yeah, I but think like, I like them. But like other ones, like the app store icon and the photos icon, it it doesn't. I just don't think the 3D effect works because they're taking something that can't actually exist in like a 3D space or something that was so clearly designed for 2D and trying to make it 3D. But it just doesn't work. But like the the messages bubble looks like a balloon. Like it looks like it's something that could actually exist in a three yeah, D space. True, actually. So I'm um, looking at them now. I'm just if I just lightning round. Finder's okay. This like app expose thing looks okay. Safari looks okay. Messages and email I don't like. Maps look fine. Photos looks fine. I have the same problem with FaceTime that I have with messages. Uh, calendar's good. Contacts is good. Reminders is good. Notes is good. Apple TV is exactly the same. Apple Music and podcast and news are all the same. And then the iWork suite is fine. And yeah, App Store. I don't know. I don't know. It's weird how that used to be like all these little icons, and now it's just like morphed into this like triangle A shape that like isn't a paintbrush and a pencil and a ruler anymore. I think I'm okay with it. I mean, I didn't even really notice that they had all change that significantly now that you guys are talking about it, like i'm looking at a picture of it and i i see what you're saying like it looks like somebody went up to the side of a mac and like put their mouth on it blew into it like a balloon and they're like <laughs> and then all the icons just expanded a little bit they like pumped some air into them the uh yeah. the one thing i will mention before we move on though is the new control panel that literally looks like it was pulled from ios and ipad os love it it's great awesome I was playing around with it yesterday i think that that's was... how it works on windows it's like yeah that one. That's that's the other thing I was going to go to is like the new control panel and some of the other elements in macOS look very touch friendly. Um, and I don't think Apple's going to ever launch a Mac Never with, happen. with touch. But like, I just I want to say I think The Verge said it the best that like iPadOS and macOS feel like they're on a collision course. And you yeah. know, I think Apple is vehemently de- denied any plans to combine the two. I think they're they're gonna crash together at some point just think of how good the ipad pro with that floating keyboard would be if it ran mac os and ipad os if you could do both on the ipad pro it's a dream machine yeah and like i said to pat the other day like if ipad apps are going to run natively on arm Macs, it stands to reason that mac apps will be able to run natively on ipad because they're going to be using very similar processor architectures mm-hmm. game right? changer for sure definitely i agree with this I agree with this theory. I just don't think that there's ever going to be a touchscreen Mac. It's not going to happen. What if it's Never. a touchscreen iPad that runs Mac OS and it's just called... Also not, also not going to happen. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I think I'm with John and the Verge. It yeah. seems like it seems too perfect. Oh, I, I think they're going to collide and there's going to be a lot of crossover with apps. I just don't think that Apple will ever put a touchscreen on a traditional macbook or imac or whatever that's the one thing that i do not see ever changing i've been in the room for like too many conversations where i've heard this question asked and like the way that they deny it is i mean they could be like hiding something but the way they deny it is like so passionate they they see this like even though the division is coming down they still see um like a, a stark sectioning of these two operating systems in a way so I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. But uh, before we run out of time, let's quickly move on to watchOS seven and tvOS uh, fourteen. Yeah, it's tvOS fourteen. There's not not a ton to talk about here. I'll just quickly lightning round go through them. WatchOS seven. There's new watch faces, sleep tracking. Finally, that's been rumored forever. There's new fitness tracking features, and I think the one thing that we didn't hear during the keynote. Obviously, Apple's not going to mention it is the uh, watchOS 7 gets rid of force touch, which is a hardware-enabled feature where on the Apple Watch where you press a little harder on the tiny display to access different features um, within like an app's UI. I probably use this five times in my life, and I wear an Apple Watch almost every single day. So That's what I was not talking gonna... about earlier with the iPad gestures. You know, People don't use them. Yeah. Same thing on it's Apple Watch. It's the exact Watch same there. thing. Yeah. So like, I'm not going to miss it. I get it. I think that in a sense, Force Touch, particularly on the Apple Watch, was a bit of a lazy way to um, kind of shrink your iPhone UI down to an Apple Watch. And hopefully Apple's move to get rid of it is an effort to try to get developers to simplify the user interfaces of their oh, yeah, Apple Watch true. apps. It's, it's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Pretty minor update across the board. I don't think there's much else to talk about with it. 
And then on the tvOS side of things, uh, tvOS is often like an afterthought for Apple at WWDC. We heard next to nothing about it, but it was cool to see it on stage. There's going to be a new quick resume feature for games. I still think there's like this alternate timeline where the Apple TV became a viable gaming console. I wish that was like a thing that happened, but it didn't. There's some good games on there. There's some absolutely horrible games. It's cool that this course sort of quick resume thing exists now. And then the other thing worth mentioning it, and I was talking to um, Brad Shanker about this when the reveal happened, is the amount of emphasis Apple placed on the fact that the Xbox Elite Series 2 controller now works with the Apple TV. Like, I think that's cool. Don't get me wrong. Like, I have an Elite Series 2. I wrote some. I wrote an opinion piece about it saying that it was, like, the best controller ever. And, like, it should be for the price that it costs. But, like, nobody owns that controller. It's, like, very much, like, a one-percenter controller. You know what I mean? Like, no one should be dropping that amount of money on a gamepad regardless of how good it is. So it's kind of funny that Apple placed this big emphasis on the fact that it's now compatible with the Apple TV. Um, I think, like, the... Is there anything else we want to say about Watch Watch OS 7 or TVOS? I just have the one Watch OS thing. Like, they've made it so you can put multiple complications, which are like the little oh, control yes, buttons yeah, on yeah. one app face. And you could always swap between app faces. So you're Very swiping true. through. But now you can, like, really turn your watch faces into these, like, mini widget or apps, you know? So you've got, like, for the, one of their examples was, like, you've got this cycling app. So you've got, like, your Strava stuff and your other cycling stuff that was on one really watch cool. face. But then you come home and you want to, like, put on, like, a classy watch face and go for dinner. You swipe over and you've got your watch face that tells you, like, what time it is and if it's going to rain on your walk home. Or then you've got, like, it's time for bed. You switch over to, like, your baby monitoring watch face or your sleep tracking watch face. And it's almost like you could have five or six apps really accessible that you've completely customized. So you don't even need to open apps. You just change between watch faces, which I think is just such a smart way to do it. You know, you don't, and you can share them too. Yeah. It's like, uh, you make a really great bike tracking app or watch face. I even see, I even called it an app and I'm like, that looks cool. And then you just send it to me. And then I've got all the tools that you set up and I'm just good to go. Like, I think that was, I don't know how much people will use it, but I thought that was a really, really interesting, uh, thing. Like it, it seemed like something that seemed so perfect. Like, it's like, I can't believe we didn't come up with this years ago. Seems it's awesome. a cool way of getting around the lack of, um, like, I know you can pretty heavily customize watch faces with different complications, but watch faces still can't be made by third-party developers. So yeah. I think in a way to like being able to share those custom app-like watch faces is kind of like a way for Apple to circumvent that. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I understand why they don't want to open up to 30 third-party developers. Part of the magic of the Apple Watch is like everything works. Like I, I used to use Android Wear. I still have a, moto uh 360 third gen crazy that a third gen exists and it's made by a canadian company someday i'm going to write about it um and watch faces often aren't optimized and they they don't work right if i'm getting them from like a third party so like i understand why they're doing that and i think that in a sense that's a way kind of around that issue yeah i I think it's cool and uh yeah it's leaving every other smartwatch in the dust again (laughs) My my one question about the new watchOS stuff is um, sleep tracking is like one of the big new features. But my understanding is, at least with the watch now, uh, most Apple watches don't have the best battery life. And so to me, like if you're going to do sleep tracking, you need to wear your watch all day and all night. Yeah. Depends on which gen you have. Like I think you would need so, the newest one, would you not? Almost. I think I think if you use the 5, which is the one that I have... You could probably get through two days without charging it, but like you're right, at some point you're gonna have to charge it. When is that time, right? Like um, in the sh- when you're in the shower, how long does it take to charge an Apple Watch though? Like an hour? I don't really it know. Takes takes way longer than that because it's over their proprietary like fake chi charging. Um, I plug mine in overnight. I don't think I'm interested in sleep tracking because I I never find that information very useful, other than to realize that I never get a restful sleep. <laughs> I don't need to know that again. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that I think that's a, a valid question. Like, if if Apple now envisions this world where you never take the Apple Watch off, you you wear it at work for notifications, you wear it when you're exercising, you have it on at all times. Like, you're even wearing it when you're sleeping now. When when does it make sense to charge it with their vision of how the device is used? You would I don't have know. To get yeah. like some sort of dock for your desk it would be the only thing that I could think of. You know, so at least you can yeah. still see it, but you're not wearing it when you're sitting down. Maybe. Um, yeah, could be. 
John, I think, do you use sleep tracking? You have a Withings watch, right? Yeah, I was I was going to get into that it? in a in a moment. Yeah, I do. Um, just before that, though, yep. I think that this might suggest that whatever the next Apple Watch update, oh, hardware true. update is, it's going to be a lot better on the battery front. Like that's that's my guess, or like it could be better. I don't know how much better, but I think we'll see a, a an Apple Watch with better battery life coming. Yeah, that's very line. true. That's a good. Uh... Reading between the lines. It'd be cool yeah. if it uh, was capable of hitting three days with the always on screen. That yeah. would be Yeah. That would be spectacular. I anyway, to answer your question, Bennett, I use a Withings Steel HR, um, which basically does all the fitness stuff. It does, you know, heart heart rate tracking, sleep trapping tracking, steps, all that stuff. Um, but it looks like a normal analog watch and it's got a tiny like um display almost like a calculator display Mm -hmm. it's just a really tiny one that will like tell you your your heart rate and stuff like that um but it's it's only it's off all the time unless you turn it on the rest of the time it just looks like a normal analog watch and i i get like three or four weeks off a charge with it Um, oh you can charge that one the one that i'm doing i'm reviewing the go right now and it's a watch battery yeah i have a i have another one like an older uh, version that is also just a watch battery and that one lasts like months it's great yeah nice um but yeah like do you sleep track the fact i do i do sleep track um i the only time i really take my watch off is when i shower it's waterproof so i don't have to but i just don't like wearing it and getting it wet because then it it's wet for i have to dry it and stuff like that right yeah, i feel that um but yeah basically what i find is you know usually around once a month the battery gets low, so I just take it off and, and charge it at my desk while I'm working. And then I don't have to worry about it for a month. So and yeah. that's the kind of the ideal for me. That's what I kind of wanted with, the, with this one. Like I was like, I don't have to charge it. I can wear it all the time. It's going to track my bike rides, which is what I really wanted. Um, but I've been having trouble with sleep tracking. I just don't feel comfortable wearing a watch to bed. I bought like a better band to try I and get on. I can't do it. I've, it was I've hard. tried yeah, I'm going to keep trying, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's tricky, tricky stuff. It, it took me a long time to get used to it, um, but now it like it's fine. I, I don't notice a difference. When the public uh, when the public beta comes out, I'm going to probably do a story about the sleep tracking to see how it compares to what, what Fitbit's done in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not currently running the dev beta because I don't have another Apple Watch at home. I learned long ago, don't don't put dev betas or even public betas on the devices you use every day because uh, it's going to make you have a bad time. I've got two Android phones right now that are pretty much out of commission. I couldn't take them out of the house and trust that they would work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, have, I, have, uh, I have a Series 4 or Series... No, I believe Ian has the Series 4. I have. There's a Series 3 at the office that's running a dev beta that I would 100% just installed on. And from what I've read, like it's it's pretty solid it's the first year they're releasing a public beta so you know like the operating system has reached that level of maturity but uh i am not brave enough to put that on the watch that i wear every single day that's yeah that's for sure i don't i don't blame you for that at all i i put the android 11 developer preview on on my pixel 4 it's the first time i ever i think the first time i ever did one of the developer previews instead of waiting for the beta and i really regretted that Everything's fine now that I'm running the first beta. Like it's super stable, and I haven't had any issues. But the developer previews basically put the pixel out of commission. So yeah, I'm like also my uh, Pro is like the power button would freeze it, so it's just like oh, oh no, this sucks. <laughs> like the worst part was one morning my alarm was going off, and then it froze, and I basically just had to like throw it under my mattress. I was like, I'll just wait this out. I'm also running iOS 14 on uh, the new iPhone SE. <laughs> so the widgets kind of look hilarious on this tiny screen just because i don't have another iphone at home they're all like under my desk at the office and i don't really want to go into the office to get them um yeah it's it's i'll show you guys a screenshot after the podcast it's pretty funny to see widgets on the tiny 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 screen um yeah no that sounds cool i'm very excited to run the beta on, on my iphone once it like the public beta comes out yeah should be should be um in the summer at some point, July or August. But uh, mm-hmm. I think this is a good place to, to wrap it up. I think we hit all the major points at WWDC. We're going to jump to doing a very, very brief segment regarding what we're playing right now in terms of video games. Uh, 
So I can start it off. Um, nothing's changed. Played The Last of Us 2. Wrote a bajillion features about it. They're all on the site now. People on the internet screamed at me for a solid 72 hours because I really liked the game. You can go Classic. find all those lovely... <laughs> you can find all those lovely tweets. The gamers of gaming. That, that's all I got to say. Um, all I'm playing right now is Apex. The Lost Treasures update just dropped. There's a bunch of interesting things that have changed with the meta of the game in terms of the balancing of characters. I won't get into any of that. The big thing with Lost Treasures is that there's now a shotgun snipers game type. Um, well, that, that that is Lost Treasures, literally. That's the, the playlist. You, it's shotgun snipers. And there's now a mobile respawn beacon. And uh, it's been awesome. And I don't know how I'm going to go back to the regular Apex. I'm going to be really confused because people can use more than just a, a shotgun and a sniper. And I've been trying to like figure out why I'm better at this than the regular like core version of the game. And I think it just stems from being super old and growing up playing Halo and shoddy snipers being like a big thing with my friend group, whether it was like a in-person land party or playing online or whatever. Um, Cause the whole experience of like the mobile respawn and the shotgun snipers is incredibly reminiscent of, of what that was like many years ago. So uh, yeah, that, that's, that's what I've been playing. Nice. Nice. Gotta love them. Capital G gamers. If you want to go next, John, you can, because mine's not a real game. Yeah, I can go next. Um, I've haven't been playing a lot, um, but the Same. main game I've been playing is uh, Valorant. My friends, oh no way, my friends me, love that game. Yeah, my friends convinced me to play it. I wasn't super sold on it, but it's actually really fun. Um, but difficult to to play well. Um, yeah, there's a lot of yelling at each other, and I'm like, I don't want to jump into that and yeah. have people yell, peek, peek, watch showers, watch, who's watching showers? Yeah. Is it coming to console? I don't think so. Um, as know. far as I know, it's not. Um, it's made by Riot, right? Yeah, which is like crazy because the only other really big game that they have is League of Legends. So, like, this is like a completely different t- type of hardcore competitive game. Um, it, it would be like, I don't know the people who make civilizations making a version of CSGO. The last of us. I'd love to play that game. Yeah. I'd play it. No, I get it. Civilization, the FPS. I like when developers go outside their comfort zone because I find sometimes they kind of get locked into something and then they keep making the same game over and over and over again. And then, you know, sometimes something like this will happen where it's like, whoa, I didn't know these guys were capable of it, but they really put their heart into it and pulled it off. Yeah. And the thing with Riot is like, I mean, you can't really make a League of Legends 2. Like, that's not how the game is designed. It's like the epitome of a live service game that's just kind of designed to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but I, I've been really impressed with the quality of, of Valorant. It's a really, really solid game. If you like that kind of super tactical CSGO type uh, first person shooter, you'll probably really enjoy Valorant and you're probably already playing it because it's, it's free to play. <laughs> so, um, preaching sure. to the choir. But yeah. Um, for me, not I haven't been gaming at all lately. Uh, I've been trying to get back into Animal Crossing a little bit, but it's not been going super well. I'm playing like. Are you ready to swim? I am ready to swim. That that swim update did come out today, and I know Alex wanted that right from the get go. She's like, "Why can't you swim? I want to swim. I love swimming in video games." So it's here now. That's exciting. But for me, I've been playing Pokemon Smile twice, sometimes three times a day. <laughs> because it's so good. I can't good. believe you're actually playing that. I sent it to my sister, who's like a dental assistant or something. She works in a dental office. I don't know exactly what her title is, but she was like, yeah, maybe that's good for kids. I was like, no, it's good for adults too. It's so fun. I like laugh. I smile every time I play it. You get to hear like the Pokemon battle music when you're like brushing your teeth, two minute timer. It's like brush the left side, brush the right side, get the tops, get the bottom, get your gums. It's like, get it all. And you know, it. I, I'm unlocking all these like VR hats or AR hats for myself. I right now have this like green afro, and a ratata pops out of it when I'm brushing my teeth. Say hello. It's super super fun. Like if you're not playing, it's a free app. You download it on your phone. Uh, you use it when you brush your teeth in the morning. Use it when you brush your teeth at night. It also wants you to brush your teeth in the middle of the day, which isn't something that I've heard of being recommended a lot. But you know, gotta get, get you gotta catch them all somehow. So. Oh, yeah, and every time you, you brush, if you do a good enough job, you get a catch one. Maybe. If you I do a good enough you, job, you get a Master uh, Ball. If not, regular Pokeball, and you're 50-50 on those guys. 
I think you may have just volunteered to write a uh, an opinion piece about why this game is great. I kind adults. of already did. Like when I wrote about the announcement, yeah. I, I like tried it and I like kind of went in. I was like, I think this is kind of awesome. Like I'm excited for Pokemon Sleep now, even though we just talked about how I'm not thinking I'm into sleep tracking. But I just I, I like adding gamification to like regular things I do in my life. Like I use it to do app call, or I haven't been using it lately because hard but i i generally like to use it to do app called habitica and it's got like all these rpg mechanics where you like check things off and you level up your character and i've got like a staff and a dragon now that's my pet and i just like like adding these gamification elements to my life because i feel like that's just the little extra push i need to like do these sort of adult level things or just keep my life in order you know and uh, it's fun. Like I said, I laugh, I smile. It's, you know, at the end, it's like, here's some pictures of you brushing your teeth. And they're always like me, like looking like super stupid into the mirror, like <laughs> eyes crossed or eyes closed. Like it's just such random pictures. It's it's really fun. I was hyped from that presentation just really quickly for uh, Pokemon Snap. But I think I was probably the only the only one. I have a, a pretty, pretty big nostalgic connection to that game. I spent a lot of time as a kid throwing apples at Pikachu. Do you think really that? Do you think that game's going to be full price, or is it going to be like a thirty, forty dollar um, thing? Because I would pay forty dollars for it to play that game for like a few afternoons. A um, hundred dollars, not so much. I, I, think I feel it's, it's going to be, full, be price. full price. Yeah, the mm. original Pokemon Snap was full price. But the, I think, but the sometimes big thing remasters me, aren't. It's not. It's not a remaster. It's a totally new game. To my understanding, it's just called New Pokemon Snap. So, uh, okay, great. It, great it'll name. be. Yeah, great name. It's it's just like an on rails thing where you take pictures yeah, of Pokemon yeah, yeah. like on a safari. Um, it, I believe it was the first Nintendo sixty four Pokemon game to come out in North America, so it was a huge deal. When I was a kid, like every blockbuster video had these little booths where you could print out stickers from the game, which was super cool. So you'd like take pictures, come in through memory card, put it into the controller, and then print out all these stickers that you could put all over the place. So. I hope they bring back that in some way. I don't know how that's going to happen, but uh, I think we got to end this. We're way over time. Thanks for listening to the Syrupcast. Be sure to drop us a review on iTunes. It helps with the rankings of the show as well as discoverability. You can find me on Twitter at at Patrick underscore Rourke and of course on mobilesyrup.com. Bennett, where can people find you? Mobilesyrup.com, Mobilesyrup's YouTube channel a little bit, you know, trying to get it. We'll see. But uh, and then on Twitter, Instagram and all that jazz at the Brad fad. And John, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at John underscore Lamont. That's J-O-N underscore L-A-M-O-N-T. Um, and on mobile syrup, the website mobile syrup.com. You can find me there. And as always, you can find all of our content on mobilesyrup.com and also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at at mobilesyrup. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.